1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, William Hill put up a prop this week that got some attention, a prop for the number of times a Houston Astros batter will be hit by a pitch in 2020. They set the line at 83 and a half plunkings. Uh, John, are you taking the over or the under? Uh, And also... Please rank by decibel level of the booing they'll receive when they make public appearances this year. Rob Manfred, Roger Goodell, and Gary Bettman. Uh,
0: well, Eric, I, I looked this up the other day, actually. The uh, National League record for hit-by-pitch is uh, 148 by the 1898 baltimore orioles and yes the baltimore (laughs) orioles were in the national league in 1898 um the american league record is by the 2008 indians with 103 Mm. so 83 and a half give me the under um i said this whole saga is mostly forgotten by may 1st uh it'll be revived in late september when the astros visit the yankees for sure but um i I think it's a little bit overblown uh commissioner uh, that's so lame and trite. Uh, all three are going to get plenty. Commissioners, <laughs> yep. um, I'll go Betman, Goodell, Manfred.
1: Betman, Goodell, Manfred. Okay, interesting. I don't know. I feel like uh, the the in the moment the uh, Manfred hatred uh, that seems to be throughout the league uh, might might push him temporarily to the top of of the booing charts. But uh, but all of those guys get booed everywhere they go, and most people are doing it just to amuse themselves. But uh, yeah. um, in terms of the uh, the plunkings. We talk about how it's always fun to root for the over, uh, but but this is a weird one to bet the over and then tune into Astros games, hoping to see someone get beaned. I don't know. Um, and this is uh, not an original observation here. Many people have said this, but if Manfred is concerned about retaliation against Astros players, All he has to do is suspend the players, and that should prevent them getting thrown at. Anyway, as I understand it, uh, Kenny Gersh is currently hard at work trying to purge the internet of all videos of him asking for integrity fees for sports betting states. (laughs) And uh, yeah, One last (laughs) note on this. Uh, As you know, John, I've covered boxing for 22 years. Uh, Boxing is the red light district of pro sports. But uh, but baseball is uh, making boxing look pretty good and well run and squeaky clean right about now.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, The public relations uh, efforts here are uh, uh, pretty pathetic. The Astros, obviously, worst of all, but Major League Baseball itself has been pretty poor, too. And uh, it's not that complicated, and they've all managed to screw it up anyway.
1: (laughs) Yep, pretty much. All right, well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 79 of Gamble On, the gambling podcast that has nothing to apologize for. But if we did, we'd be a whole lot better at it than the Astros. Uh, If you missed any of our previous 78 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe, rate, and review.
0: Yeah, and Eric, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by New Jersey Assemblyman Ralph Caputo. Uh, he's had a remarkable career in politics and in the casino industry in Atlantic City. Uh, he currently serves as the chairman of the Tourism, Gaming, and the Arts Committee. So we're going to talk to Mister Caputo about some of his career highlights, his thoughts on the future of Atlantic City, and even his thoughts on esports. But first, it's been yet another busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: Our first story this week involves updated timing on two states launching sports betting, one moving quickly and the other looking like it might be a little while. Uh, First, the one that's close, Illinois. Our colleague Chris Altruda spoke earlier this week to a representative of Governor Pritzker who indicated that it is a near lock that brick-and-mortar sports betting will be up and running by March Madness. This good news came on the heels of some troubling news last Friday, that an effort to repeal the legislation had been introduced, but it appears that will gain no traction. So Illinois is just weeks away. Tennessee, on the other hand, is sputtering along. A meeting of the Sports Wagering Advisory Council on Tuesday saw some details get hammered out, or nearly hammered out, with the big one being that instead of an 85% payout cap, it looks like it'll be a 92% payout cap, though I still don't know how you can guarantee how much people will or won't win. But while they keep working out details, the finish line keeps getting pushed back. We thought going into this week that Tennessee sports betting would launch around June— By the end of the meeting, they said they hoped it would launch by football season and couldn't even guarantee that it would happen before the end of 2020. Uh, John, are you concerned that Tennessee might be screwing this up? And any thoughts on Illinois getting retail betting going quickly while mobile lags a bit behind?
0: Yeah, I mean, Tennessee almost makes us wonder how they manage having casinos until we remember they don't have them. (laughs) Um, So here we are. I mean, the the, the payout cap not suggested, I mean, It's far less dumb than it was, but it's still dumb. So lawmakers will be playing the don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good game, I guess, and Mm -hmm. maybe settling for a weird compromise. But um, it's just um, – I've mentioned often that why don't people just copy New Jersey? They've got the hang of it. But i got to say Pennsylvania at this point is uh, getting to be a mature market, and they did pretty well also. So there are multiple places where people can look. And say, well, why don't we just kind of do that if they got the hang of it? Yeah. And for some reason in Tennessee, they've got this, uh, you know, we're going to reinvent the wheel idea. It's its weird. But um, as far as Illinois, I mean, having brick and mortar sports betting definitely helps. But uh, especially for March Madness, um, considering Indiana otherwise would eat their lunch on this. But um, you, know, you can't bet on the University of Illinois in Illinois, which is kind of an issue. because I think they're going to be dancing come March.
1: Ah, Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of a problem. March Madness without uh, the full freedom to bet on all of the the college basketball teams Uh, in Illinois in general. It's going to be a very gradual rollout. Uh, Only three casinos so far have applied for a sports betting license. And uh, in terms of what we're hearing about mobile, that might follow not too long after. But in-person registration is required for the first 18 months. DraftKings and FanDuel are in the penalty box until early 2021. So, you know, when those Illinois handle and revenue numbers start coming out, it's going to be a particularly gradual climb in in that state that might take a couple years before we see uh, what a a mature market could look like there. Um, For Tennessee, I'll start by saying something nice. Uh, They ditched their parlay push rule. uh, So that's good because that was a terrible idea. Um, But I don't have much uh much else nice to say besides that. I, I hate the idea of capped payouts. I think it's impractical and I don't quite get how you make it happen. Like, if everything was spread betting, uh then okay, I guess maybe you set both sides at minus one fifteen or whatever it would take, and uh you still can't guarantee even action on both sides, but you can somewhat control the payouts that way. Um But it gets harder with uh, money line bets and long shot bets. And, you know, let's say everyone loads up on the Titans at long odds to win the Super Bowl and they win the Super Bowl. I just don't get how you guarantee certain profit margins. I I hate everything about it. And if Tennessee is going to take many more months to roll this out, then at least use that time well and ditch these horrendous ideas. I feel bad for Jennifer Roberts. She's trying to manage a a tough situation here. And so as frustrated as I am, I imagine she's 10 or 20 or 100 times more frustrated by these proposed rules.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I got to say, when, when you mentioned a lot of good points there, but um, the the in person rule—you got to sign up in person. Uh, wow. We mentioned Alaska last week, and uh, uh, wouldn't that be interesting to have uh, everyone in Alaska has to go to a, a brick and mortar <laughs> casino to sign up? I mean, there's not a lot of land there. It's like Rhode Island, I'm pretty sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well the population uh between Alaska versus Rhode Island might be close. Uh I think uh yeah, land landmass uh, yeah, that's uh not to mention uh the certain certain months that you don't even want to leave your igloo or your house. Uh so uh yeah, I don't I don't know how well that's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Our second story is somewhat related to what we were talking about with Illinois. As Mississippi is a retail only sports betting state, But they're talking now, finally, more than 18 months after opening brick-and-mortar sportsbooks, about adding mobile to the equation. Perhaps in part to keep up with neighboring Tennessee, a pair of online sports betting bills were filed last Friday, and they have a little under three months to get them ironed out and move them through the legislature if they're going to have a chance at passage this year. The tax rates are quite low, uh, 6% on one, 8% on the other. Uh, But clearly it's time for Mississippi to step it up and go mobile, since in a year and a half, retail sports betting in Mississippi has generated total handle of a little over $500 million, and Indiana has surpassed them inside of four months. Uh, It gives you a a, a sense of the difference between having mobile and not having mobile. Uh, John, any early guess on whether this passes? And if it does... Does Mississippi get held up as an example of why it's okay to start out retail only if that's what it takes to get something passed in your state?
0: Uh, Yeah, I agree with that last concept, basically. You know, remember that uh, the reason New Jersey doesn't have betting on New Jersey college teams, uh, which ironically has been copied by some of these other states, and uh, especially that Rutgers is going to make the NCAA march madness this year um but it was just that state senator ray lesniak he was focused on passing something in 2011 that would sucker the nfl ncaa and the other leagues into suing them in 2012 which they did and he saw no reason to be delayed by a relatively minor issue like that so it was pure pragmatism so um you know mississippi has a relatively low handle so far as you know but uh it's more than nothing and um since it's already passed, I find it hard to see why the state legislators would continue to hold up the mobile version of the same betting. Right. But I'm going to bet the under on passes this year because uh, actually the 6 and 8% uh, margins they're talking about are you know somewhere around half of what New Jersey gets from online sports betting. And New Jersey is known as a pretty uh, – uh, You know, industry friendly state. So um, that's probably a little bit too low. They, you know, New Jersey has clearly not been deterred, um, you know, by the 13 or 15 percent number they have. So um, I have a feeling that's going to be debated to death in the uh, uh, legislature there and, and it'll go nowhere until next year.
1: Yeah, I, w- I think it's a good point that, uh, that they're gonna. If somebody tips them off to the idea that they can ask for a lot more than six or eight percent, then they will ask for a lot more than six yeah, or eight sure. percent. And especially with online, you can because the relatively low overhead compared yeah. to uh, to the to the retail books. That's why a lot of these states do have higher rates for the online. I think it's interesting um, to compare Mississippi with with New York. Uh, Both are starting retail only. uh, But the difference is New York is right next door to another state that has mobile and and makes it easy. Mississippi didn't have to worry about that. So, uh, yes, they were leaving money on the table, but it was less egregious in terms of money flowing to another state. In a way, it's worse because money is just flowing offshore. uh, But still, if you're Mississippi, It's less of a mistake to start out retail only and then add mobile, whereas New York, with its enormous population and its proximity to New Jersey and Pennsylvania, it's more imperative that they get with the program in terms of online gaming. But Mississippi, I think for them, rolling out in this manner is just fine. And uh, yeah, other states, as long as they aren't surrounded by states with online sports betting, I think Mm -hmm. can look at this and say that, yeah, it's okay to pass a retail only bill first and, and double back later.
0: Yeah I I just hope these legislators look at other states I mean there there's so many good examples it's kind of the the whole point of the uh, republic basically where you know individual states can have their own ideas and they try them out and then if you're another state you can look and say I'm I'm not as eager to do whatever it is and then see if it works and and take the best practices of other states and and use it on your own so uh, that's what's supposed to happen here and with any luck again I don't think it'll happen this year in Mississippi but uh, I bet it does next year
1: yeah this might be a reach of an analogy but it just occurred to me uh, since I was watching uh, my favorite reality show Survivor last night the two (laughs) teams are in the challenge and one gets to the puzzle at the end a little ahead of the other so the Mm -hmm. second team gets there looks over to the side and sees that the first team has a quarter of the puzzle (laughs) completed and let's just copy them uh, and uh, gain a little ground that way. Yeah, no reason states can't look around and see what everyone else has done and get some good ideas. Absolutely. All right, so those were two fairly serious, dry, legislative stories that we started with. Let's end the news segment with something more offbeat, something out of the entertainment industry and not related to sports betting. As you wrote this week for NJOnlineGambling.com, the Phil Ivey versus Borgata Baccarat story is headed for the big screen. Uh, And this is something you actually wrote about more than a year ago, saying that this felt like a Hollywood script. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, someone in Tinseltown agrees, uh, except it seems that the poker pro Ivy will be a supporting character, and instead his partner in the edge-sorting scheme, chung Kelly-sun, will be the main character... And she'll be played by one of Hollywood's current it girls, Aquafina, who people said stole the show in Crazy Rich Asians. And I saw it and I didn't get what was so great about her, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, The Baccarat Machine is becoming a movie. Uh, John, do you see major hit potential like the 2008 Blackjack movie 21, which made over $150 million in U.S. box office? Or is the upside More along the lines of an Uncut Gems, which made a little under $50 million. Uh, And my idea to play Ivy is Michael B. Jordan. Can you beat that casting?
0: Hmm, that's all interesting. Um, I think this is going to be the biggest gambling movie ever, ever, Eric. I really do. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, it surely opens. It's got the angry son character. She's suffering a Las Vegas prison for three weeks, cutting the flashbacks of her global casino jet setting as a daughter of a billionaire from China. Um, she vows revenge. You know, I'm picturing a good scream there in the, uh, in the, in the cell. And then we flash to her realizing that she, and she alone can detect the tiniest of imperfections on sets of mini Baccarat playing cards. Um, then she succeeds in winning big, who realizes she can't maximize her gains unless she finds the most brazen partner alive. And who's that? That's the Phil Ivey character, right? A poker legend from Jersey. Um, As far as the casting, I think any African-American actor in his 30s or 40s would work, but Jordan is probably the hottest among them. uh, So sure, I get that. Um, But... You asked me to top it. If the producers really want to think big, how about Michael Chicago Bulls, Jordan? (laughs) Okay, he's 50. He's 57. Right. Look, he's 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 handsome. He's smart. He's charismatic and he's ruthless. Um, He would look really good staring down Borgata casino bosses who feel like they know he must be cheating that they can't figure out how.
1: Okay, that's creative. I have no idea how how good his acting is. I never even saw Space Jam. I have to admit, but <laughs> um, but you know, hey, Kevin Garnett was shockingly good yeah. in Uncut Gems. So uh, uh, yeah, why why not? I'm still yeah. leaning toward my my version of Michael Jordan. Yeah, but, if I uh, have a
0: bet. I'm going to put it down on yours. Right, I think I'm okay. being a little little overly creative, but I, I guarantee you it would work though. (laughs) Right.
1: In terms of uh, how big a hit this could be, I I could definitely see this being much more of a fun movie than Uncut Gems and thus more of a mainstream hit, like whether you liked Uncut Gems or not. And I thought it was so so. uh, But either way, it's not a movie you necessarily want to see more than once. Um, I think it's something like Rounders that's a movie about schemes and CD gambling underbellies. That's really fun. And you can watch it over and over. I think if you make the Kelly Sun character fun and compelling, and you find a way to do the same with Ivy, which is not easy. Uh, his personality is not exactly Daniel Negreanu, but you know, you can fictionalize him a little bit. Uh, if the lead characters are fun, you know, I think of like the ocean's 11 crew pulling off their heist. Uh, this can definitely be a, a hit movie. Um, I looked up uh, Andy Bellin is reportedly the man working on the script. He doesn't have a long track record. He's written two movies, uh, Lovelace and Trust. I've seen neither of those, so I have no idea whether to count on him to write a good script. But at least based on the real story, it shouldn't be that hard to write a good script here. You, You just you just did it off the top of your head pretty much.
0: Yeah. And, and I think Ocean's Eleven is a good example. Uh, like, are they the bad guys, the good guys? Am I rooting for them? Maybe I shouldn't root for them, but I'm having fun rooting for them, even though, you know, that's exactly what you have here, because even the uh, the judges in London and New Jersey kind of sympathize with the Ivy Sun pairing. Yeah. I mean, the neither one found him. There's no criminal effort and neither one said they were fraudulent. It was just a technicality of sort of, you know, uh, fair game and that sort of thing that, they, that they've that they been losing on. But um, clearly, there's something about it that's kind of legit. You know, they don't touch the cards. They just get the dealers to uh, do their bidding. And that's sort of like, well, if the dealers were dumb enough to do it, then why shouldn't they win? So yeah, I think that sort of mixed feeling of, you know, I, I feel a little bit Naughty, rooting for the sort of bad guy is uh, fun that, you know, movies have been doing for 100 years now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as you were talking there, it did occur to me uh, that this is an interesting case because the ending has not been written yet. Uh, You can certainly end the movie with uncertainty, but boy, it would be a little tricky if they get the movie written and they're filming it and they finish filming it. And then the case gets resolved and you need to go back and sort of rewrite your ending. Or uh, or I guess maybe you just put a, one of those cards on the screen that says what happened afterwards. But uh, a little bit tricky here to be writing a story based on a true story in real time while that story is not entirely resolved yet.
0: Oh No worries. I checked with an expert down in Philadelphia on the Third Circuit uh, just this week, and um, they said it might be another five or six months even before uh, there's a ruling from the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. And then uh, whoever loses clearly has the bankroll to go for an end bank hearing of the full court, which might take another six months to decide. And if they lose that, um, the loser likely has the uh, cash to uh, – appeal to this u.s supreme court so that's a good two years in the making so they'll get this movie made and and out i think before everything is completely done okay it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble interview
1: Please now to welcome to the podcast a key figure in all things gambling in the state of New Jersey, the chairman of the Tourism, Gaming, and the Arts Committee, Assemblyman Ralph Caputo. Mr. Caputo was on the legislature from 1968 to 1972, took a wee little 36-year hiatus, and returned to the legislature in 2008. He has seen and done it all when it comes to the New Jersey gaming industry, and we're thrilled to have him with us now. Mr. Caputo, welcome to Gamble On.
2: Thank you very much, Eric. Appreciate it.
1: Um, so I mentioned that you first joined the legislature in 1968, left after four years, and came back, oh, about half a lifetime later. Uh, so a three-part question for you here. What got you into politics? What got you out of it? And what brought you back in after a 36-year absence?
2: Well, I was heavily in politics as a young person. And then, of course, I, went on, I my real field was the field of education. I was a teacher. I worked for the Department of Education. I, I served as a uh, Urban Education Specialist. I was a liaison to the Commissioner of Education, to the legislature. I served as a county superintendent in Essex County. I was the Assistant County Superintendent of Vocational School, so I had a full career in the field of education. And then I reached the point where I said I've done everything I can, and the casino business was so exciting about something new. I really didn't have a lot of background in it at the time, but I knew it was something new and something that I would love to get involved in. And I did. I, I threw myself into it. Uh, I took a risk because I gave up security, but uh, I would not trade those experiences for anything uh, that I had in, in the in the business for over twenty years.
1: Right.
0: All right. Yeah, Simon, Can you talk about the then? How long did you work as Atlantic City casino executive, and for which companies? I would
2: say, uh, 1980 to two
0: thousand two. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what were your specific roles there?
2: I I ran. Uh, Uh, A marketing customer development office uh, for a number of casinos, Showboat, Trump uh, Organization, uh, Tropicana. So I was fully involved in in the marketing and uh, servicing of uh, areas of customer development for all of those casinos over a number about four or five of them over a number of years.
0: Okay, and so uh, we mentioned before, what brought you back after the 36-year absence of the legislature? Uh, And did you ever figure you would uh, come back?
2: I retired from the casino business, (laughs) and uh, I was really doing nothing for a little while. And then all of a sudden, I got invited to a couple of meetings, and the old competitive juices started to flow. And before you know it, I was back uh, in 2000. Actually, in 2002, I ran in a primary Hmm. for freeholder in Essex County and won that seat. Uh, against you know big odds, and uh, I served as a freeholder for a number of years. I was vice president of the board of freeholders, and then while I was serving, uh, it was an opportunity for me to run for the assembly. It was another challenged situation where we had to run and compete. It was not a handed uh, a nomination, uh, and we won that uh, primary myself and Cleo Tucker in 2008. Uh, so that's that's what's happened. Gotcha. You never dream these happen, but they do.
1: Right. Um, so, so John was asking you about your Atlantic City experience. When you when you think about what the goals were back in the 1970s for what an Atlantic City casino industry could do for the city and the state, uh, would you say it has lived up to expectations?
2: Well, for certain periods of time, it did. I mean, when you when you think about 1974, the referendum was rejected. And then, of course, in 78, uh, the first casino opened after the referendum passed very, very slimly uh, after they narrowed it down just to uh, confine it to Atlantic City. And it did bring a tremendous amount of uh, employment opportunities, uh, construction business, other business, and it provided uh, opportunities to many people that would never have had a position. People came from all over the state and out of the state uh, you know, to work in the industry, and it was a it was an industry that was brand new to the state, and if somebody worked hard and had talent, uh, they could move up very quickly. So, it was a, a big boost, and of course, all of the tax revenue that was uh, provided for the state was huge in those days. We're talking about, you know, over $500 million in tax revenue on the average in the, when when it reached its peak in 2006. So, it did an awful lot for the state. The, the problem was that it, was, uh, it wasn't diversified, and, uh, I, I blame both uh, the corporations and the, and the uh, political cli- uh, client uh, client at that time clients at that time the elected officials because they knew that Atlantic City was not being managed properly. They have to get their budgets approved every year. They they saw it was bloated, but you know what? They looked the other way. They were making lots of money. Uh, the state was doing well, and the, and the corporations were doing well. So when when the industry fell apart, all of these storms came to the top. You know there was. When we lose 10,000 jobs and there's no other jobs for these people to have, uh, then then we saw all of the the mistakes were made over the years. So I think a lot of that could have been avoided. Uh, number one, I think they should have taxed those casinos a little higher than they did in the beginning because they were making huge money. Mm-hmm. And They might have been able to decrease it as time went on because of the stress on the on the uh, from competition and the economy. But they lost an awful lot of revenue. And that revenue could have been used uh, to rebuild Atlantic City. Uh, the, not only the casinos, but I, what I'm getting at, it could have been the Paris of the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, all that, uh, all those resources were wasted, in my opinion. It uh, was not put in the right place. Some things were done. Uh, I mean, they never would have had the infrastructure that they have today if it wasn't for those casinos. So there was a lot of positive things, but I think a lot more. Everybody recognizes Every study, uh, every review always recognizes that the the, the, the actual infrastructure of the city, the city life, uh the quality of life there was not not, not did not increase uh based upon the success of those companies. So uh, things could have been a lot better. And now of course they're digging themselves out of a hole. So
1: right. this is where we are. And 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 on that front, uh you know, the these last since 2006 you said was when it peaked, there have been some ups and downs and some struggles. Are you optimistic about Atlantic City's long-term future? Uh particularly if, if the Meadowlands gets a casino of its own someday, h- how big a threat would that be?
2: Let's talk about that for a minute. The uh sure. you know, the whole idea of relocating uh casinos in New Jersey was a good idea. Pennsylvania did it. And the reason why they were they were number two next to Vegas is because they they, they plugged into our market. Uh, when you went to the Sands and you went to all these other places, they, they pulled the New Jersey, North Jersey, New York market into their coffers. And so we weren't talking about killing Atlantic City. We wanted to preserve Atlantic City and preserve the gaming business for the state of New Jersey. But here's what happened. Uh, you had Bad bad Trenton uh, that was... Uh, created by an outside New York company, Genting Corporation. Uh, they spent millions and millions of dollars to defeat the, to defeat the referendum, which really uh, hurt the people of the state of New Jersey and Atlantic City because Atlantic City would have, been, would have shared in the revenue uh, based upon some of the proposals that were made uh, relative to, if it ever went to the Meadowlands or, or to Jersey City, they would have gotten a large portion of that money for non-gaming development. So it's not about Atlantic City, and specifically it's about the gaming business in the state of New Jersey. And, of course, we did so much in terms of sports betting, internet gaming, uh, what we did in terms of trying to help uh, the Atlantic City. All the reform bills that we put into place uh, was all put in place uh, for the purpose of making Atlantic City strong. But, you know, uh, there's mixed emotions about this. You know, they got very provincial down there, didn't see that... Uh, they would have these closings. When they hit those five closings, that's when I think the reality set in. And of course, we wish them the best. But the the revenue that's expanding at this point is uh, not expanding for all the casinos that exist. You know, when uh, you have you have a few that are bringing more revenue in, but the, there are other casinos that are doing less uh, in terms of profitability. So,
1: you know, I don't know, I don't know
2: that I think the the jury's out on whether or not it'll be successful or not. I, I see additional closings eventually, mm-hmm. with the competition and the event that uh, the economy takes a turn. Uh, those two, those two forces, which happened uh, before the closings, the competition and the economy, the vicious economy uh, that turned on us, it can happen again. So, hopefully, it'll diversify, and, the, and the, the ones that remain will be profitable. And then again, we'll have to take a look and see whether. We're too late. We may be too late to do something up here. I mean, because you see what's happening. MGM is uh, buying in, in Yonkers. Uh, mm-hmm. There's more casinos opening up in New England. So uh, I don't know whether uh, our original position is as firm as it was uh, a year or two ago. I think we got beat because we didn't. No one, no one supported the yes. No, no resources were put behind the yes vote uh, for relocation. But it is what it is. You know, that's not sour grapes. It's just. Uh, You know, the economy will dictate uh, what's going to happen, not my position or the position uh, to relocate casinos or to keep them there. The economy will determine and the competition will determine what the survival will be in terms of A.C.
0: Right. All right. Yeah. So, Assemblyman, uh, you know, you're sponsoring a bill that. Uh, could make New Jersey the magnet for not only esports betting but also for esports tournaments. Um, you know, are, I'm wondering: uh, are, are we keeping you away right now for uh, from playing uh, Fortnite or League of Legends or Call of Duty, <laughs> or is your interest well, you know, in that economic front? One,
2: actually two public hearings on esports. Mm. Okay, uh, one was uh, I, uh, one we had earlier in the year, and now we have one recently uh, where we had the AG who was very supportive of this. The administration is very supportive. And it's not a question of being so excited about. The fact is, it is the next big thing. In other words, there is a cultural shift. Uh, the younger people are into these tournaments. They're happening all over. Uh, they bring lots of people. This, this could be beneficial to the state in terms of bringing people from all over the country in for these events. They could occur in Atlantic City. It could be very profitable for Atlantic City. It can be, uh, you know, the hotel rooms can be sold, restaurants. Uh, there's so much that can happen. Because of esports, because it's such a new thing and it's so well participated, and we want to make it, we want to make it, regulate it, and hopefully we can uh, gain more revenue. But aside from the revenue, it's the activity that'll bring in tourism for the state of New Jersey. I think it's a very important uh, piece, and we want to do it before other states, do it. we want to get the head start on it. We want to, that's what we did with sports betting and put us way ahead. Uh, now you see how they're all catching up with us. So this is something that's going to happen. Uh, we're going to request that from leadership to go on the agenda for a vote. We've already talked to one senator from South Jersey, actually represents the South Jersey uh, area, who's very interested in co-sponsoring it. So I see this as something that will happen. Uh, and the fact that the administration is supportive is helpful.
0: Do you wonder, though, is there room long-term for casinos and sports books and mobile versions of those and esports and horse racing and a lottery? Uh, does something have to give or is it just let, let the free market decide? Or,
2: well, well, let the free market decide, but the fact is that, you know, we're in a challenge situation in New Jersey. We lost half of our taxable revenue since 2006, half, okay? So, you know, we have to make up for that somehow. That was the whole effort about North Jersey. Casinos to try to bring that revenue and those customers back. Now, these people are going somewhere. And when you're, you know, the fact is that if, if you, any new amenity can, can help work, uh, climb that wall, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm supportive of it. And even James Johnson, who did the actual report before our committee, indicated that in Atlantic City, we don't want any additional casinos because it will continue to cannibalize uh, the existing properties. And that's something we want to avoid. And that's why we're going to take a, a long look at whether we relocate or not relocate. Let's see what happens there. We want them to be successful. So uh, anything we can do like eSports, if that's going to do it, that's going to help. We're with it. And uh, as long as the, we can get the integrity and the oversight from the DG, uh, Mr. Mr. Reebok was doing a great job. Uh, you know, we feel that we're on the right track.
1: All right, well, this is this has really been enlightening. Uh, thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast, Assemblyman, uh, and we, we hope the gap between your first and second appearances on Gamble On uh, won't be as long as the gap between your tenures in the legislature.
2: Okay, I know. That's a good one. But anyway, <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks, Ralph. Thank you.
1: Two men.
0: Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
1: Painful week for our bankroll. Not so much because we went just one for four and lost money, but rather because we missed out on a potential big win. Uh, first, I'll cover our losses. Uh, I went 0 for 2. I took a shot with Davis Bertans in the three-point contest. He finished third, so a respectable showing, but we lost 50 bucks. I also lost the title of world's best XFL better by missing big time on my New York Guardians plus three and a half pick. They lost by a score of 27, nothing, not much of a sweat there. That cost us $105. Glad I didn't do that one on points bet. Uh, Your bet on LeBron James to win all-star game MVP also lost. Uh, His team won, but Kawhi Leonard was the MVP and it wasn't close enough for some Kobe inspired pro Lakers bias to take over. Uh, So we dropped $50 on that. Fortunately, you scored a win in golf. You bet $100 and won $125 on Adam Scott finishing in the top 20. Yet, I imagine you have regrets, John.
0: Uh, Yeah, a little bit. Uh, (laughs) I didn't want to look it up, but I couldn't resist. Uh, Yeah, Adam Scott was 33 to 1 to win, so a mere $10 token bet would have been worth $330 as he won the event by two strokes. Uh, A week earlier, I had Jordan Spieth to for a top twenty and to win, and he scored a top ten, so I got uh, uh, the top twenty and, and not the win. So, but if I keep winning the bets overall, I'm going to try not to worry
1: about it. Okay, that's a good attitude. Well, uh, add it all up, and we lost eighty bucks for the week, so we are now a whopping four dollars over our starting <laughs> stack. Uh, we still have one thousand and sixty-five dollars on hold in futures bets, leaving us with eight thousand nine hundred and thirty-nine dollars available to bet this week, and I'm up first. And let's go to the NBA and to the team I follow most closely, the Sixers. They host the Nets tonight. Last time these teams played, Ben Simmons went off for 34 points, 12 rebounds, and 12 assists. I wouldn't expect that again. Joel Embiid was out that game, so Simmons had to step up and carry the load, and Embiid will play tonight. Still, Simmons has been playing great lately. He played in the All-Star game like a guy who believed he could hang with anyone in the league. Uh, he's put up good numbers against the Nets in all three games so far this season, at least 20 points each time. So DraftKings has even money on the over for a line of 34.5 for combined points, rebounds and assists for Simmons. Last Nets game, he had 58. Again, that's unrealistic. But I think at home in this matchup, playing well lately and motivated to help the team move up in playoff seeding, I like over 34 and a half for Simmons tonight I'm betting 100 to win 100
0: all right. Uh, first, I have to mention that uh, $4 profit we have after a year and a half. Um, <laughs> I think if we were fans of arts and crafts, right? I mean, what would our Michael's credit card bill look like after all that time? <laughs> Clearly, we would not be up $4 from all the uh, purchases we made, and uh, we, we're not winning anything back from what we get. I, I right. it's supposed to be a satisfying hobby, but this one is costing us nothing, so that's uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. So um, back to the golf. Um, PJ Tour goes to Mexico this week with a field of only about 65 or so. There's no cut. Um Four clear favorites here, Rory McElroy, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, and John Rahm. Uh, I'll be surprised if anybody else wins this thing. Um, but give me Rahm. He's a top 10 machine, loves this course, 110 to win 100 as a top 10. And, yeah, I'll throw in 10 to win 100 to win outright.
1: Okay, good. Uh, Got to take a, a little shot on that uh, at least. Uh, don't don't want to have any regrets on that front. Um, I'm sticking with Thursday night NBA games for my second bet. The Milwaukee Bucks aren't just winning. They are blowing teams out an obscene plus 12.1 point differential through 54 games. Tonight, they visit the Pistons, a team that has lost 10 of 12 and has gone into tank mode. Andre Drummond gone, Reggie Jackson gone. And so far this season, they've lost to Milwaukee by 14 and 24. And that was when they were theoretically trying to win. Uh, The Bucks are favored by 12 and a half on the road. For almost any other team, I wouldn't like a number that big, but these Bucks are different. This matchup is perfect. They lost their last game before the break with Giannis out. Now he's back, and they're gonna get back to their old blowout winning ways. Uh, am I a little nervous that the Pistons bench warmers might close a 20-point <laughs> deficit to under 12 and a half against the Bucks bench warmers at the end? Yeah, it's always possible, but I think it's safe enough to bet $110 to win 100 that the Bucks win by 13 or more tonight.
0: All right, that sounds pretty good. Um, so my beloved local squad here in New Jersey, the New York Guardians, um, they're nine and a half point underdogs against the St. Louis Battlehawks. And I say, give me Battlehawks or give me death. Um, <laughs> hundred, hundred and ten to win a hundred. Uh, the Guardians are poorly coached and have an awful quarterback in Matt McCloin, um, who interestingly was ripping uh, the coaching and his teammates during the game on the interviews, which uh, usually have to wait till after the game, you know, like uh, <laughs>
1: right.
0: like Odell Beckham used to do, but <laughs> but here they get to do it during the game. Uh, uh, it's also the home opener for the St. Louis market, and they're star for football, so I, I expect a, a pretty rowdy crowd there. So uh, I'm happy to give nine and a half uh, against the hapless Guardians.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's a that's a bad sign for your uh, quarterbacking career when you're getting <laughs> benched in the XFL. That's uh, that, that's about <laughs> as low as it goes as a as a professional football player. So not sure if there's any coming back from this for for McGloin. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Assemblyman Ralph Caputo. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan. And follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Go to U.S. Bets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling. And subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple podcast app. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out.
0: Well, Eric, we're only a few days away from Fat Tuesday Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Um, I checked pretty carefully about the statute of limitations on everything, and uh, I can now confirm that I did attend there in 1984. (laughs) That was the 109th version as an official holiday in the city. Um, If anyone thinks that attending that event, even to this day, is not a gamble, um, I'll just gently say otherwise. Um, And acknowledge that being a visitor in the pre-camera phone days admittedly was far less of a risk. So uh, for anyone thinking of attending this year or any time... A, be careful out there, and B, wear a mask at all times. It doesn't even look strange out there, and you'll be glad you did. And with that, until next time, gamble on.